0: Welcome to the ERLC podcast. This week, we'll hear a compelling testimony of one man's journey from Islam to faith in Christ. God is saying, Should my heart not beat for these people who are blinded? Even I'm talking about ISIS in bitterness and who do not know, yet know their right from their left, as he writes in Jonah. They don't have the gospel should my heart not beat for them and i'm telling you friends we answer that question with the way we live our lives following christ is more than an intellectual ascent at the erlc leadership summit Afshin Ziafat shares his story of what it meant to lead the Islam faith to follow Christ. We hope that you're encouraged to follow Christ more faithfully because of Afshin's testimony. Well, my name is Afshin Ziafat. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, I'm from I- Iran. Uh, my family's from Iran. I'm actually uh, an, an American by birth, but my family's from Iran, and uh, let me just say right off the bat, uh, I'm, I'm going to share my story with you uh, this morning, but before I get to that, just a few words, I, I absolutely love this leadership summit, uh, and I absolutely love the theme of this summit, the theme of racial reconciliation, and I think right out of the gate, Dr. Moore gave probably one of the best messages I've ever heard yesterday, amen, on the role of the church Uh, in revealing the mystery of the gospel, not only to the world, but to the rulers uh, in the heavenly places. Truly, racism and any kind of racial superiority uh, is an affront to God because it strikes against the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel, which tells us that we're all sinners separated from God, and that God is redeeming and reconciling a people to Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, uh, this is this is a this is why Jesus, when He prays for the future church in John 17, He, he prays for their unity. Uh, though that God is drawing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, diversity. He's praying for their unity, and this is what He prays in John 17. I pray that they would be one. Uh, just as you and I father are one so that the world will know that you sent me and so racial reconciliation is not just a good idea because racial equality is a politically correct idea but it's because the message of the gospel is at stake the the the, the name of Jesus is at stake And so the gospel tells us that it's by grace alone that we can be restored to God. Not by our own effort and surely not by our physical lineage or our skin color. And this is why even the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, where God made sure they knew in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that it wasn't because they were so great in number that God chose them because they were the fewest of all people. But it was only owing to the fact that God chose to set his love on them. And so it was. Racial superiority has no place in the kingdom of God. But one thing is certain: all who are God's people, knowing it's by grace alone that we are God's people, are called to step out by the gospel. Are called to step out of their comfort zones and cross racial and national divides and take this message of reconciliation to every nation, every nation. And so say it another way. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, all who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ are given the ministry of reconciliation. And so what I want to, what I want to leave with you is I'm so thankful. One lady got this. All of the Bible. I'll get to that lady in a moment. All of the Bible points to the fact that, again, those who've been reconciled, those who have been called by God, are called to get out of their comfort zone and go. From the very beginning, when God came to Abraham, in Genesis 12, he called them to leave his father, to leave his country, and go to a land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And then ultimately, he says, through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. So yes, Abraham, you're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, but there's one descendant who's coming, Jesus, and through him, through you, I will spread my message of hope and salvation to every family of the earth. So Jesus in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. But what does he say to them? But I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I must draw them also so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so over and over again, Abraham, it's not going to be just you and your tribe. I've got sheep that are of not of this fold. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is sitting on a rooftop and he has this vision with this sheet coming down with all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean in it, and he hears a message from God saying, Peter, take and eat. And what does Peter say? I will not touch what is common and unclean. And God says, don't call what I have made common and unclean. And right then there's a rap at the door. And a Gentile man named Cornelius has had a vision to call for Peter. And so Peter follows his people and he goes, in, he goes into Cornelius' home. And you talk about a racial divide for a Jewish man to step into a Gentile man's home. was a huge divide, and he got out of his comfort zone, preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his men, and he baptizes them. And when he goes back to Jerusalem, the good Christians at the base camp, they actually rebuke him for what he did. How dare you preach the gospel to the Gentiles? And Peter says, if they receive the Holy Spirit just as we have, who am I to stand in God's way? And truly, this is God's way. Why? Because when we step out and we cross divides and we go out with the message of reconciliation to people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't dress like us, who are separated from us, we are living out the gospel. Why? Because the greatest divide isn't even a racial divide. The greatest divide of all time is the divide between holy God and sinful man. And Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. And he got out of his comfort zone, if you will. And he came into our broken world and he was beaten and tortured and crucified and was obedient to the point of death for every one of us. And so listen, when we do that, we are living out this gospel. And so we're called to go and cross not only racial divides but national and political political ones also. I am an Iranian American who received salvation by God, working through one lady who understood this gospel. That I, I that she understood that I was once separated from the people of God, but was brought near by the blood of Christ. I was at one point not a people of God. I was at one point alienated from the people of God. But because of Christ, God has made from the two one man. And we can be fellow citizens, members of the household of God. In fact, the dwelling place for, 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 for Christ. And so this is, this is my story. I was born in Houston when I was two years old. My family moved to Iran. Uh, where my family is from. When I was six years old, the Islamic revolution hit that country. Uh, I remember being six years old in in our home and Muslim revolutionaries on our rooftop shouting Allah Akbar, which means to Allah be the glory towards the palace. The fighting was starting. In fact, my family got out 10 days before the Shah himself escaped. We moved back to Houston when I was in the middle of first grade. I didn't speak English. I spoke Farsi, which is the language of Iran. I still speak Farsi. Uh, And God, in his incredible plan, provided for me a Christian lady who became my tutor, and she taught me the English language every day after school by reading me books. My family was paying her, they didn't know she was Christian, to teach me the English language, and she's reading me these books. In the second grade, she came up to me and she said, Afshin, I've been reading you all these books, but now I want to give you the most important book you'll ever get in your life. And she handed me a small New Testament And she said, you're not going to understand this today, Afshin, but promise me you'll hold on to it and read it later when you're older. And she plants a seed in my life in the second grade that wouldn't come to fruition until 10 years later. But listen, the important part of my story is not just the fact that she did that, but when she did that. You see, my family left Iran because we were trying to get away from this uh, unrest. We moved back to Houston. We had no idea what kind of unrest we were about to walk into. Because it was not easy in nineteen seventy nine to be from Iran living in America. A group of Americans were held hostage for over a year. Every day on the radio. Every I'm mean, listening as an Iranian, I hated the Beach Boys. You're saying, What are you talking about? Because they took one of the Beach Boys song and they changed it to Bomb 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 Iran every day. Bomb Iran. We had rocks thrown through our window in Houston because my people knew my family was from Iran. Older high school kids threatened to beat up my brother and I. My parents' cars' tires were slashed. I mean, all of this persecution that my family faced. And I say that not to throw a pity party, but just to say, had any other American given me that New Testament, I would have thrown it away because I didn't trust them. You want to win a Muslim for Christ? I believe you got to earn the right to be heard. And she did it by the way she was loving me. And she, I'm so thankful, one Christian, when everyone else, when it was totally right and natural to hate people from Iran, she went against what's natural and did the gospel move and stepped out and said, I'm gonna love this Iranian kid. And she poured herself into me. And it was the Bible she gave me 10 years later that I read and I came to faith in Jesus. And so I'm very indebted to her. Became a Christian. I hid my faith from my father, who's a very prominent Muslim. Was scared what would happen if he found out. Uh, my father was the president of the Islamic Medical Society in Houston. So it was a very big deal for me to be a Muslim. And so when I became a Christian, I would sneak out to go to church. I would hide. My, you used to have to get dressed up for church. I don't know if you remember those days. But I would hide my nice clothes in my car on Saturday night and go change at a restaurant on Sunday morning before I went to church. So my parents wouldn't figure out where I was going. I'd hide my Bible, I kept this whole game going until finally one day my dad found out and he sat me down. He said, what's going on? And I told him I'm a Christian. He said, seen. if you're gonna be a Christian, then you can no longer be my son. And I want you to know, everything in me wanted to say, forget it, I'll be a Muslim, because I didn't want to lose my dad. I didn't understand that there's a cost to following Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. Salvation is a free gift not to be earned, but it's not just easy believism, right? It's a commitment to lay down your life, to take up your cross, and to follow him. So I want you to know, my flesh wanted to say, forget it, I'll be a Muslim. And I share that so you know I'm not boasting, because even I was surprised, when I opened my mouth and these words came out, I said, Dad, if I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And If I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. And my father disowned me. Uh, no, hold on. Don't clap. I don't have time. I got a clock looking at me. So let's stay with me. All right. So my father disowned me. I'm just joking. I'm joking. So told me to get out of his face. I walk upstairs to my room. I fell on my face and I said, God, how could you do this to me? I said, Jesus, if you're real, how could you take my dad away from me? And the Lord humbled me. He led me that night in my room in Houston, Texas, led me to a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. For I have come to turn, and I'm reading this right after my dad disowned me, for I've come to turn a man against his father. And I'm like, whoa, this just happened for me. A daughter against her mother, a man's enemies with the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's when I first understood what it means to follow Christ, not just to believe the right things about him. And so I said, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I'm following you. And I'm telling you, God provided for me. I think of the story of Ruth when she left her family and left her comfort zone to be committed to the relationship that God had given to her, Naomi, her mother-in-law. You remember the story uh, that that, that uh, she even said to Naomi, your God is will be my God. And so she committed herself and she put her trust in the God of Israel. And so I love this. When she comes to Israel, Boaz shows her undeserved kindness and she's stunned. She's saying, why are you showing me this kindness when I'm a foreigner? And remember what Boaz said? It's been reported all that you have done in leaving your family and that you've come here to come under the refuge of the wings of God, of Yahweh. In other words, you have put your faith in Christ and you've left all to follow Christ. Therefore, you have moved from being a foreigner to being family now, and I'm taking care of you. And so I say that when we reach Muslims for Christ, we have to be sensitive and understand that in many times they're going to have be shunned from their culture and from their family. And we as a church have to be ready to come around them. And there was a church in Houston, Texas that did that for me that I became members of the household of God and they took care of me and I'm so thankful to them. So I go off to the University of Texas praying that God would give me a Christian roommate and God just opened the door. Door after door was open for me that when I lost my life, I found it. God gave me a Christian roommate from a Muslim background, all right? And I went potluck, all right, who was hiding his faith from his dad, all right? same exact story. In fact, we dated the same girl in high school and didn't know each other. Not making that up. And we had her same senior picture in our wallets the day we met each other. All right. Now you tell me that's not God, right? So God used Farid and I to lean on each other as his father would also disown him. Well, a year after my dad disowned me, he took me back in, but only on a provisional basis, as long as I'd go be a doctor and make him proud. So again, I had another idol in my life. God, thank you for heaven, but don't touch my life because now I want my dad to be proud of me. He's come to terms with my Christianity, sort of. He thought it was just a phase. But now don't make me do this. Don't make me now follow you in ministry. And it was clear God was calling me. So the hardest thing I had to do was to go sit down with my dad as my hand was shaking and break the news to him that I'm not going to medical school. And folks, my dad was going to pay for my entire medical school, and I was going to take over his medical practice and be set for life. But I said, Dad, God is calling me to go into ministry. He called it the biggest stain on his life. I said, Dad, you know how much I love you, how much I want you to be proud of me. He said, Son, not only will I never be proud of you, but I'll always be ashamed of you as long as I live. The hardest words I ever had to hear. And I left with four dollars in my pocket, didn't have a job, only had my first semester's tuition paid for by my church to go to Southwestern Seminary. And I'm telling you, God opened door after door for me, a man who paid for my entire seminary degree in Dallas, uh, a, a church that took me under their wings. I, I started a ministry there, started speaking around Dallas, around Texas, around the entire nation. And what's amazing it's then God opened a door, today I pastor a church in Frisco, but God opened a door for me through another ministry to be able to go into, not Iran, but a neighboring country where Iranian men and women who've come to faith in Christ through the underground church in Iran are sent to this neighboring country. And guess who goes there once a year to teach them in my native language how to preach and how to do evangelism. And they go back into Iran and plant underground churches today. So listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Remember I said, don't clap, listen to me. Today I could be a doctor and have my dad proud of me but I would have missed the life Christ had for me. And it all goes back, listen to me, to one lady who understood the gospel and said, I'm going to love this Iranian kid when everyone, when it's in vogue to hate people from Iran. And so I'm telling you today, there are Afshin Ziafats in your neighborhood, people from Middle Eastern descent all around your churches. And we don't even have to go to the ends of the world, although we should. God is calling us to go overseas as well. But I'm telling you, the ends of the world are coming and moving in across the street from us. There are many more Afshin Ziafats today than there were back then. In your neighborhoods. And God is calling us to step out. Listen to me, folks, especially at a time when it is expected for us to distrust and maybe even hate Muslims. After September the 11th, a prominent evangelist wrote wrote an email to a bunch of pastors, and I ended up on that chain somehow. And basically, it was a a message of let's pray, but let's rah rah, let's go get them, America. Uh, It wasn't a horrible message, but I just wanted to come around it. And I sent an email back to him, and I said, "Listen, I I love what you're what you're saying, but I want we need to tell our Christians and mobilize them that this is a unique time because again, I walked through it." This is a unique time when Muslims are expecting us to hate them because of September 11th, a unique window that if you love them, you will live out the gospel. When we were enemies of God, Jesus loved us. And he calls me and he says, Afshin, you need to wrap yourself in the American flag a little bit more. And he said, brother, we're not ready to hear that message. And friends, listen to me. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian, okay? And listen to me, listen to me. And we better be ready for that message, and we better know that message, and we better not only be ready for receiving it, but declaring it, because it is the gospel. Do you remember that you were an enemy of God? If the Apostle Paul was around when Osama bin Laden was shot and killed he would not have run down to the White House and high-fived and hooped and hollered and celebrated. He would have fallen on his face and said, thank you, God, that when I was Osama bin Laden, if you know his story, hunting down Christians to kill them, that you had mercy on me. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not condoning Al-Qaeda or ISIS or terrorism, but all I'm saying is when I remember I was an enemy of God, I forfeit the right to celebrate anyone's death apart from knowing Jesus, all right? I can't do it. The gospel says I was an enemy, but God humbled himself and put on human flesh and came into my broken world to reach me. Therefore I must have a heart that reaches out. And I'm telling you, especially in a season when ISIS is flaring up. You know, I, I, I preach this message and Osama bin Laden and ISIS, those are radical examples, obviously. But I'm telling you, when I preach around this country, I've had people sitting in churches come up to me with tears in their eyes saying, I'm sorry, Afshin, forgive me. I'm like, for what? And they say, I've never thought about Muslims this way. I've never had p- compassion for them. And I say to them, man, don't 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 ask for my forgiveness. Go read your Bible. Go read Ephesians chapter 2 that you were at once children of wrath, destined for the wrath of God because you were an enemy of God, but God had mercy on you. It's it is the gospel message. And we are to go even to our political enemies, even the people that we in our human flesh would lump with terrorism across the street from us and love them when they're expecting us to treat them in a different way. You know, Jesus says it this way, if you only love those who love you, what more do you do than the tax collector? In other words, if you're only going to love people that deserve your love, well, pat yourself on the back. You've just come up to the level of the world. But my message goes beyond that and you become exceptional and you start to reveal the gospel when you go beyond loving people who deserve your love and especially loving people who deserve it and maybe who are supposed to be our enemies. I'll close with this and I'll pray for us. I love the story of Jonah. When we read that book, we read that story, we all know oh, Jonah is a story about a man who didn't listen to God and he ran away from God's call and he ended up being swallowed up by a big fish. Let me tell you what the story of Jonah is about. It's about a man who had a prejudiced heart and how God detested it. Do you know that when God came to Jonah and he told him to go to preach to Nineveh, that Jonah's contemporary Amos had already prophesied that the Assyrians of which Nineveh is the capital would one day come and conquer his people. So listen to how radical this message was from God. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach to a people that you know are your enemies, will be your enemies, and will conquer your nation. Not only that, we know from reliefs that we've uncovered that the Assyrians were brutal people, that they would dismember their captives of war. So I'm telling you, they were ISIS. He says, go preach to them. He says, no way, and he runs. You know the story, God finally brings them back and he preaches to Nineveh and they repent and God relents from destroying them. And Jonah chapter four, Jonah reveals his heart when he says, this is why I ran from you, God, because I knew that you're a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The very things that made him the beneficiary of grace, he now hates when it is, directed towards his political enemy. And so God allows this thing to happen where a plant comes and covers him and then God appoints a worm to eat up that plant and to remove that plant so that the sun and the scorching wind beats against Jonah and then Jonah is angry, angry enough to die. And what does God say to him? You pity the plant for which you had nothing to do with. Should I not pity this great city with more than 120,000 people made in my image, do not call what I have made unclean. Should I not pity them? And it ends with a question mark and the book ends. You never get the answer from Jonah. You know why? Because I think that question goes out for us today. Listen to me, friends. God is saying, should my heart not beat? For these people who are blinded, even I'm talking about ISIS in bitterness and who do not know, yet know their right from their left as he writes in Jonah. They don't have the gospel. Should my heart not beat for them? And I'm telling you friends, we answer that question with the way we live our lives. The gospel calls me to step out of my comfort zone and go out to people who don't look like me, who don't dress like me, who don't talk like me, who are not of my skin color, but on top of that, especially those who are my enemies, who I am expected to hate. When I show them love, the gospel is revealed. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. I thank you for one lady who poured herself into me at a very hostile time in my life. And because of her, I stand today, a Christian loved by God. I pray that we would remember, and we would have a heart not to condone terrorism or condone uh, these acts of violence, but nonetheless to have a heart that says, God, I pray that even they would come out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Would you do that deep work in our heart, God? Would you cause us to be broken and repentant, remembering that we once were enemies? We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ERLC podcast. Join us next week as we hear about the unbelievable number of children who are in the U.S. foster care system.